But guess what? We're going to actually start another series. As you know, if you've been with us, we just finished up with Malachi and the Old Testament and the, the problems with the priests and all the problems that were going on at that time. And now we're going to jump about 450 years forward or backwards for our, from our perspective, and we're going to start working through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. We're going to start on chapter 1. God just laid it on my heart. Like I said, I couldn't get away from it. I said, oh, man, Corinthians is a large book, and it, it has a lot of problems. So we're going to start with it as far as what was going on at the time, but I couldn't get away from it. And so we're going to start working through the church in Corinth. A couple of things I, I, as we work through it. I kind of want to set the stage a little bit because there's going to be a theme to this series, all right? I don't often do that, but again, kind of impressed on me. And Joe, I think you were taking off my notes. I think you were looking up here because a lot of what you were saying. But the theme that I want to focus on is focus, staying focused. And today we want to look at especially Point Way Church. What are we focusing on? And just a reminder for that, I dug these out. So some binoculars, right? Wow, Brandon, I can see you even back there. Ralph, you know, you're a little harder. You know, you're blending in. But Ralph with his camo. But right, we, we use these, right? We use binoculars to focus in on something. But what, what, when we do that, what do, what do we do when we're, we're narrowing and we're, we're closing in our focus, right? We're putting things on the outside away from us, right? We're, we're blocking out those things that distract us because... We kind of need to zero in, and our eyesight's not that good. We can't often see, but these help us. And so that's going to be the reminder as we work through this series is staying focused. And guess what? It's not a new problem. Quite often we think, you know, church today and the culture and everything that's going on, oh, it's got to be brand new. It's never happened before. No. God's Word still applies very much so today. His Word doesn't change. We change, but at our core, we still have the same issues. And guess what? The church in Corinth, they had problems focusing. In fact, the church in Corinth, if I was their pastor, I probably would quit, to be honest. They had a lot of problems. But it wasn't because they weren't taught by someone good. It wasn't because they didn't have someone that started them off on the right track. Church in Corinth was started by Paul. Apostle Paul started that church. In fact, he wasn't there, so he's a fly-by-night. He was there for 18 months, maybe even longer. And so he's the one that established, he worked hard, he got them up and going, he labored with them, and he stayed in touch. And one of the things we have is this great letter in 1 Corinthians back to that church. But like a lot of Paul's letters, they were letters of correction. Not because he disliked them or he was beating them up, but because he cared about them. He didn't want them to needlessly struggle. And so Paul's going to kind of help them focus on the things that matter. Now, the, the area, the culture in Corinth was not a good one. In fact, many say that the culture in Corinth would be like today taking part of New York City, part of Hollywood, and then throw in, you know, the strip down in Las Vegas. All right? So you can imagine, there's a lot going on, and it's not all good. In fact, it was a party atmosphere almost all the time. They had a lot of things in their culture that was terrible. And guess what? If we're not careful, culture creeps into the church. It creeps into 
how we worship. It creeps into how we behave. And it's a problem, and it needs to be addressed. And it's not easy. It's not easy today. It wasn't easy back then. Because, right, you're immersed in it all, all week. You're saturated with it. Joe, you talked about Facebook, right? We can be in touch with our culture in a hurry in many different places all at once. And again, we get snapshots of what's going on, and it moves our emotions. Guess what? It's not hard for that to see how that affects us and brings it into the church. And we lose sight of things. And the other underlining theme here in Corinthians as well is the unity, how important the unity is to the church body. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning in chapter 1. So that just gives you a little bit of, of kind of what was going on and also some questions that we need to ask ourselves here at Pointway, as we need to quite often focus as well or refocus on what's most important. So if you're ready, let's go on this journey together here as we, we work through this. Now, mind, I want to say, first and foremost, I want to do a disclaimer. Pointway Church is not the church in Corinth, all right? I'm not going to quit. You're not that bad. I love you. Things are, are not as bad. But you know what? We can still learn from these things. And that's a great thing. It's a great teaching tool for us as the church today. And so with that, let's start off with verse 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ by the will of God and our brother Sorothes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all, all, all these, all those everywhere who called on the name of our Lord Jesus from grace, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting way to open up a letter, right? It's, a, it's, it's Paul's opening, and he has some elements that he does quite often, right? The grace and the peace. But actually, in this opening, there's a lot of theology that goes in this. There's a lot of good teaching right off the bat. Talk about focus. Paul's kind of setting the stage here for the ultimate focus, right? Whose church is it? To the church of God, right? It's God's Church. It's not Paul's church. It's not some of the other folks. We'll see there's some other players involved with this church as well, but it's not their church. It's not the people's church. It's God's church. And again, and specifically, it's that church that is in Corinth. All right? Don't ever make the mistake of saying that Pointway Church is Charlie's church, okay? That would be trouble on many accounts, right? It's God's church. So that's an important distinction. And again, Paul also identifies himself as an apostle. He has that authority with them. He's speaking from that position. Again, he's the founder of that church. But also in establishing himself as an apostle, is he speaking the very words of God? So he's just a reflection of the, the greater authority. God's church is speaking to God's people. And that's what's going on here. And Paul's making that clear. Look at that. In verse 2, it says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. That sanctification, right? That's a big word. It's a $10 word, right? It means to be set apart, to be different. What did we say? With the culture, right? Cultures were, was pretty bad around them. Things were not the way they should be. They were evil, as Joe mentioned, and 
First Peter, right? But you're set apart. You're not to be like the world. Right? You're sanctified. You're set away from that. You're to be different. You're to have a different response, a different focus. That sanctification we also use, yes, God views us positionally that we are sanctified through Jesus Christ. He's the one that sanctifies us. But that sanctification also has a process with it, right? Some of you can remember when you first got saved, did you stop doing everything that you used to do? Do you still mess up sometimes? Do you still sin? Yeah? All right. Some of you are honest. Some of you, like Joe says, you need to confess because you're, he said fibbing. I just call it lying. Just call it right out, put it right out there. No, it's a process, right? We need to, but the, the key is that it's, it's a process that we're continuing on. Sometimes as Christians, we, we get in those places where we stop working on things. We get stunted. And if we do that early on in the process, we, we stay in that mode. We stay as, as baby Christian. There's a lot of danger in that. By the way, there's another whole message on sanctification, and I'm trying not to go too far into it, too deep. But Paul's laying that groundwork. Because some of the things that he's going to be teaching is about progressing, about growing. This church needs to grow. And so he's bringing that right to the forefront. They need to grow in Jesus Christ, grow in that relationship with him. And with that comes some behavioral change, but more importantly, some heart change. That's where the real work starts happening. And he also ends this with called to be holy. Remember back, right? Called to be holy. There's that, that cry again, to, to be holy. Again, when I look at that, that's like way up here. That's the bar. And I look up, and I could get discouraged very easily, like, that, I'm never going to reach that. I'm never going to be holy. And there's some truth in that, right? This side of glory, I'm not going to be there. But that doesn't lower the bar, right? That's still the bar. And so we need to continue to work towards that, to be holy, just as Christ is, is holy. And he says, together, with everyone who is called the name. Again, not just individuals working on this, but as a church body, as a group. We're all in the process together. Some may be further along, some may not be there yet, but we're in it together. And can I tell you, church, we help each other in this growth process. We do. We need each other. Um, that's one of the things that have been lacking, right? You, you don't get that online at home in our pajamas with a cup of coffee watching the sermon, right? We get to practice it, working it out by being together, you know, spending time with each other. That's part of that process. We need to, to grow in that, being patient with one another, working together, right? Some of us guys were working, and, and Amanda joined us, and Sheila was working with us yesterday, moving, right? We had to work together. In fact, there was one hutch I remember very well. It took three of us, and we were all grunting, but we had to work together. And actually, at times, there were like four or five people working on this to move the lamp out of the way and watch out for stuff. But you have to work together. It's the same thing with the church. We need to be working together. And that's the only way things get accomplished. That's the only way there's change, by working together. Like I said, there's a lot in this greeting. Paul is kind of laying it out there because he's going to bring it back to the church and he's, he wants them to know where their focus needs to be. Focus needs to be on Christ and working together. Continue to work on our own lives, but also work as a body. Verse 4. 
gets personal here, right? Paul, like I said, Paul knows this. He says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Again, there's a lot there, but Paul says, I, you know, I thank God for you. Right? Even though they're a problem church, he still thanks God for them. He loves them. He cares about them. He's thankful for them. He, he's not, they're not something that he just wants to throw away and start on something new. No, he, he's invested in them. He's, he's committed to them. And so he thanks God for Christ. He sees that Jesus is in you. He says, you've been enriched in every way. We're going to see that this church was not lacking. This church had all the things they needed. Bring it down a little bit. Pointway Church has everything that it needs, right? It's not a lack of need. It's a lack of how we use it. Getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's Paul saying that to this church in Corinth. They've got everything they need. They've been enriched. They've, they've got it. And again, because of the testimony of Christ confirmed in you, Paul's not questioning their salvation. He's speaking to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, he spent time with them. He watched probably many of them come to Christ. He's the one that shared the gospel with them and watched them accept it and lives were changed. He's not doubting their salvation. He's questioning some of the behaviors, though, and things that are going on. See the difference? Again, that's an important teaching in itself. Again, he, he sees Christ in them, just not operating in that, not operating fully in that. We'll get on a little bit more. Like I said, they have everything they need. Look at the next verse. It says, therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Verse 8, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord's Son, Christ. God who has called you into Fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Like I said, the church in Corinth wasn't because they didn't have everything they need. They had spiritual gifts. In fact, we'll, we'll find out as we continue to read it. It's exciting. If you want to read ahead, it's great. They have a lot of gifts. They have a lot of spiritual gifts. They have everything that they need, but they've, they're pretty well off. They're not lacking for anything as far as spiritual gifts. They've got all the tools to work with. They got everything that they need to get the job done. But guess what? Those tools are no good unless they're being used correctly. And that's going to be the problem. That's going to be part of the, the issue here. Or using the wrong tool in the wrong place. Right? Sometimes a bigger hammer is not always the answer. Also, he points here to the eagerly awaiting, Right? I mentioned that focus, right? Sometimes, right, we talked about this a few weeks ago that sometimes we, we forget in our circumstances with things going on around us, we forget that our destination is in heaven. We forget that there's something better to hope for, Christ's return, heaven. We forget about those things, right? We get mired down. We get sucked down. We, we start to doubt. We get in that despair. We lose sight of that. Paul points to that here, right? says, hey, when Christ is going to be revealed again, he's coming back. 
And what he's also saying is, he's coming back, and so where do you want to be when he comes back? Or what do you want to be doing when he returns? So it's kind of a little bit of a challenge in here as well. You can almost miss that if you read through it quickly, but again, that's what he's, 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 he's pointing to. He's going to start working on them. You know, how is Christ going to find you when he returns? His hope is, and what he's saying here is, is that you'll be blameless on the day, right? Blameless means you're not going to be accused of doing the things that, are, really, what he's already heard happening. You're not going to be in the same spot. You know, that's always the hope, right? The, the Christian believer keeps moving, keeps working towards being holy, that there's change, right? It's always hard when I hear someone say, oh, 10 years ago I was doing this and I was on fire and I was... If it's been 10 years since God's been using you, you've been on fire doing something, there's a problem with your walk. I'll just put it right out there plain and simple. It's not right. Things should not be glory in the past. It should be a continuation. God should still be working in your lives. Now, yes, there are dry periods. I understand there are times when we don't often see things going on, but that doesn't mean that it's still not happening or that you're about to step on to that. And so where does God find you? Are you blameless? Are you working towards that? Don't miss the last part of this as well. And I, I love this because it's always that reminder to me. But it says, this last verse, is called into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. That, that word fellowship is, is, is what we like to use today as relationship. Right? We often talk about our faith is not a religion, but it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so amazing that we can have that with him. But that relationship is key. Talk about focus. We need to focus on that more and more. He is faithful. He's not going to leave us where we're at. He's not going to fail us. He's not going to fulfill his promises. He is faithful in that. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. PJ mentioned that Bacchabi study, and I remember that well, right? When you see Christ at work, join him, right? God is at work. He is always at work. We just need to find out where that is and hone in on that. Part of that relationship, that ongoing relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Okay, the letter's going to shift now. We're going to shift from Paul's laid all this out. He's kind of softened them up a little bit, but he's also hit them with a lot of truths. And now he's going to identify the problem. Like I told you, it's a problem church. There's things going on that are not well and things that have taken them out of focus, right? They're not using binoculars anymore. They're they're looking everywhere but where they should be. And you'll see that here in these next couple of verses. So, verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that, you may, so that there may be no divi- divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. All right? So he's identified the problem, right? What's the big problem they've got going on? Divisions, right? Again, he's not talking about the outside world now. He's talking about right inside the church. There's divisions among this group. And by all estimates at this time, the church in Corinth isn't a big group. In fact, we may have more people here this morning than they had in their house churches that had come together. But guess what? What few were there? 
They were divided. They were fighting. And you know what? Division only leads in, in one direction most of the time. Church splits, things that happen. If you've been in any of those, you know how ugly those are. Those are not of God. And so Paul doesn't want to see them go to that next step. So again, he's appealing to them. And again, he, he's appealing to them, but not just as their pastor, but also from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them, hey, God wants this as well. There should not be divisions among you. He says, instead, you should be perfectly united. You should be thinking together, working together. Does that mean that we all have one idea and that's it? No, certainly. Within that, there is room to work. I like it to like a, a football field, right? There, there's there's some, some margin in there. There's some field to play with. But the, the goal is always the same, right? And everyone's working towards that goal. And you can have some different ideas. But again, when it starts to cause division or split, then we got to really examine, is this really what God's calling or is this really what, what I want? Am I pulling away? And I might be able to find a few friends to go with me, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. It's a caution here. And again, that unity is of utmost importance to Paul. And so he's bringing that. So how does Paul know this, right? Paul's not there. He's away. How do you, how do you hear this? Scripture's great because it tells us here in the next verse, right? It says, oh, that's my voice here. Oh, yeah, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean by this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. So yet another, I follow Christ, right? So Chloe snitched, right? <laughs> really, that's, that's what it's saying here. But, but no, I'm sure it's not that way. She's not telling to, to get in trouble. She's crying out to Paul because she sees the, the problem that's going on, the, the destruction that, that can happen here. Again, that's not snitching. That's showing, hey, I care about our church, but things are not going well. And she goes to Paul. Interestingly, Paul names these people. He actually knows the division. He knows what's going on. People are picking favorites. Can you imagine that? People picking favorites, right? But this is within the church. They're like picking their favorite teachers, right? Now, if we can be honest, we all have teachers that we like, right? There's certain ones. I, mean, I know PJ and I, we listen to different teachers, and we don't always agree, and Sometimes she listens to someone, I'm like, oh, I can't listen to them. I just don't get it. I don't understand. Or, you know, um, Robbie Zachariah was one of those. I mean, Robbie's a great, was a great orator and great person, but I needed a dictionary to listen to him because I couldn't understand all those words. And, I, and by the time I found out what the word meant, I lost the message and great teacher. But when it was in this small group, it was causing problems. And and it wasn't just the matter that they were which one liked which teacher, but it's like if you didn't like the same teacher I liked, then you were no good, or I am better than you because I like this person, right? And again, that would have been easy, right? Hey, Paul, Paul was our founding. I've been here a long time. I've been here from the beginning, right? Paul's the great teacher, and so that's where 
I'm better than you. You kind of came in late. You've only got Apollos, although Apollos was a great teacher as well. We know from church history that he was a great orator, great apologetic. He did really well with, with Jewish believers. He understood them well. And Cephas. And then some, some played the spiritual card, which wasn't wrong, but they said, hey, Christ. Christ was my teacher. Right? Nothing wrong with that. That's actually a very good answer. The problem is, again, they were dividing up the church because of it. They were fighting about it. It was quarreling. And it was that one-upping each other. That's where they were going off. It was dividing the church. In fact, Paul now is going to double down on that a little bit. I think Paul now is, I can't, I can't say this for sure because I'm not in Paul's shoe, but from the writing here, I think he's pretty frustrated. I think he's, he's a little agitated that this is what they're actually arguing over. Because look, look at the way he writes this. I love this question. He says, is Christ divided? You see Paul yelling that? I can't believe this is what you're arguing about. Is Christ divided? Right? Of course not. So I, I can imagine he's, he's, he's frustrated with them. He can't believe this is what they're actually battling over. He into the name of He goes on and says, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you, except for Cripus and Gaius. And so no one can say you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stenophilus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. All right, he's frustrated. He's, he's upset that they've gone this division. And again, not only are they, they battling over the teachers, now they're battling over who baptized who. Now, I'll tell you as a pastor, it's one of the greatest honors. You know, I, I love to do baptismals. I really do. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing another one this year. They are fun. But they are not the be-all, end-all. And that's really what Paul is saying here. And who actually does the baptism? Who facilitates it? And that's what it is. They're just facilitating. And if they become the attention, then it's the wrong focus. Again, it's this person making a public display, display of what Christ did for them. But Christ is the one that's most, most important. In fact, one of the things I like to do just to make sure that it doesn't become even about me, is I like to get someone else involved, someone close to you, a family member, or if someone else has led them to Christ. Again, just there to facilitate. Husband and wives, parents doing their children. That's important. That's part of that to, to, to keep the focus. And the baptism is a great, great glimpse of the crucifixion. That's what it's, it's showing us, right? I was dead in Christ. I rose again, the resurrection, coming up out of the water. But Paul says, that's not my first concern. That wasn't my, my priority. It was to preach the gospel. Right? The gospel was the mission, was the focus. Really, if you think about it, if it, was, it would be backwards in many ways. It would be, it would be very backwards. In fact, you can't really have one without the other that way. You can't do baptismal without being saved. It doesn't work doesn't mean anything. It does, you're not identifying yourself with Christ then, right? It's the gospel, the accepting that truth, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried and he rose again. The gospel 
is central to this. Baptism is something we do afterwards, and again, it's important, but it's not the first priority. And again, Paul says, I did a few of these, but in fact, he even lists one other person. Oh, yeah, and I did this other person. It's not even on his radar. It's not the primary focus. He's adamant about that. He didn't baptize the whole church, obviously. And he's saying it doesn't really matter. It matters to the person. It matters to, to Christ. But it's not matters who actually, like I said, facilitated it. And again, Preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom. It's important here because, again, Corinth has another influence. And I failed to mention this at the beginning, but Corinth has this, this value, even amongst all the sin that's going on, they have a value to eloquent words and wisdom and knowledge. It's interesting. You've got you know, evil and all that, and then in the middle of that, there's some value on those that could speak well, those who had knowledge, who were smart. It shows you that smart people can do foolish things. I understand that, yes. At least the foolish part. But it was important to them. And so Paul makes that distinction. He says, you know, not with words. It wasn't that I spoke it eloquently or that I always did it right. But my focus was to preach the gospel, to see people hear the good news. That was his focus. He was laser sharp on that. He pointed to that. Then it, because he says, you know, if I convince you with my words, is what he's saying here, then it takes away from the cross. Right? You can convince people of things. You can, can, can stir it, or you, can, you might be able to make an argument. That's always been one of the things. It's been one of the hard things I've had to learn is I can't argue someone into getting saved. It doesn't work. It's not by an argument. Power is in the Holy Spirit doing that work. Quite often that person's ready to exceed at that point. If you think about it, do you remember all the exact words that, that people spoke to you when, you when you got saved? It's not always eloquent. It's not always all put together, and it's not always parceled out. People have tried, right? We've all known the, the Romans Road. We've all the, all the different methods, and they're methods, and they're not all wrong. But even if you don't do it right, it's amazing how God still uses that, and the Holy Spirit takes over. We need the Holy Spirit to do that work. That's part of that power of the cross. God's drawing people to himself. Sometimes, I think, if anything, we just get in the way. But Paul's saying, you know, it's not my wisdom, it's, not my, my, it's none of this stuff. It's Christ that's doing the work. And so the call here is for the church to refocus. Don't focus on the teachers. Don't focus on the, the people who baptize. But focus back on the gospel message. And so that's where I want to kind of pull that together. And you'll see we're going to do this for a couple of weeks working through this. I don't know how long, but point ways focus. You think about what is point way church's focus? Right? What should our focus be? Are there some things that have divided us? So some things that, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm not, not in relationship with my brother or sister. I've let something come between us. Maybe it was a post on Facebook. <laughs> Maybe it was something else. 
And really, at the end of the day, does it really matter in light of the gospel? So just as Paul's hearkening for unity, I want to see the same thing for Pointway. And so we need to wrestle with that. We need to focus on what's first and foremost. We say the church has two purposes, two focuses. Preaching the gospel and making disciples. Those two things. And again, that's, that's all part of that. And I can back that up with scripture. But it really is. It's our main focus. And so bow with me, please, this morning as we just ask God to do that here with us this morning. Continue. Gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for how you continually show us what's most important. Lord, I pray that we here at Pointway continue to seek after you, that our relationship grows, and that we can focus on the power of the cross. Lord, that so moves us to share that with others. And Lord, if there's anything that's coming between brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, that we ask for forgiveness and that we get unified as we move forward. Lord, I thank you so much for bringing us here today together. Look at your word to sing and to, to worship you, for you are worthy to be praised. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.